you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Psalm 51. And while you're doing that, let me, did you ever play that game? You, you put your hands out, you lock fingers, and then you push. You know, you try to drive the opponent down or turn them on them and then turn up and then they'll yell what? Mercy, mercy! Because, you know, they're just, they're brought to the point where they have to cry out, have mercy on me. Um, I'm sure we've all played that game. And I'm sure that not only in that game have we at times been driven to say, have mercy. I think we've had to be or we have been driven and had to say that in our cry to God at times. Has life ever happened to you where you feel like you can't take anymore? You feel so defeated and so overwhelmed that you just cry out, Lord, have mercy. That's the story, the setting for Psalm 51. And I want us to look at that passage, and I want us to learn from some, some things that we can learn from it. Not, number one, I want us to learn about some penitent attitudes that we need to possess when we sin. Because they're, they're, we can't continue a high-handed, uh, sinful life and expect God to, to bless us and forgive us. Grace doesn't license sin. Grace doesn't license a, a hard heart, a rebellious spirit. And so there are some things about repentance that we see in this psalm, but there's also some things about the nature and the character of God that we see in this song that give me peace and allow me to uh, pillow my head at night and know that in spite of my circumstances, all is well, and that God does have mercy. In um, Psalm uh, well, actually, if keep your place there in Psalm 51, but let's just do a little background to what this passage is. There are seven psalms of penitence or whatever you might call them in the book of Psalms. This is one of them where David just pours out his heart and, and confesses to sin and seeks God's mercy. And as we see the situation that arises here in first or second Samuel chapter 11, uh, and going all the way through chapter 12, let's just kind of identify what has taken place. David is on top of the world. He's God's anointed. And man, he has, he has risen to power. He has conquered his enemies. He is in a position of wealth and strength and prestige and has this relationship with God. And well, one night, he went out on his balcony and he looked out and he saw a woman bathing. Instead of saying, oh, sorry, the Bible says that he beheld her and he found her beautiful. And instead of going back in, then he says, hey guys, who is that? He inquired about her, wanted to know who she was and some details about her life. And, and they came and they told her about him. And then he sent for her. And I don't know how that all played out. And I don't know if he, you know, uh, was trying, you know, was it uh, uh, an innocent thing, getting to know each other more? And, and then things led to one thing, led to another. I, I don't know. But I know that he ended up having relations with her. She now is carrying his child, and he's got to cover it up. 
he doesn't want to be discovered. And so the first thing he does is he takes her husband, Uriah, who is one of the soldiers in his army, and he says, Uriah, um, why don't you uh, rest a little bit, go down and, and be with your wife and um, uh, just enjoy a little time off. Uriah is every king's dream. I mean, this guy is faithful. He is loyal to David. And he will not go into his wife. And in fact, the next day, they come and they report to David and said, he did not go, go into his wife. He, he, st- he slept on, on the door of your home, your house, the king's house. And David's like, what? And he said, I'm not going to go into my wife when, when the ark of God is out here and people are dwelling in tents and, and we're at war and no one, everybody's away from their home. I'm not going to be the one who takes advantage of privileges with my wife. I'm, I'm faithful. I'm going to tough it out just like everybody else. No special privileges for me. Well, David had to cover his tracks. And so the next thing that he thought of is, well, I just got to kill him. And, and I'll take her for myself, and then we can justify the whole thing. And so he wrote a letter that said, um, and, and basically the letter said, put Uriah in the heat of the battle, and then withdraw from him and leave him there so that he'll get killed in battle. And to top it off, the the wickedness of having himself deliver that message to the commander of the army, not knowing he's signing or delivering his own death warrant. Who would think of such a thing? Who could scheme such a scheme? A man who has now stolen another man's wife and now has arranged this man's murder and used the, the man himself In the plot of the murder, I wonder if he chuckled about that in the privacy of his own room, how that he used Uriah in that way. The battle was hot. They get right up. They they pursue and push back the enemy against, and they got right up to the walls of the city they were trying to overtake, and they withdrew, and men on the wall fired down with archers with bows and arrows and... um, Uriah was killed. Everything went fine. David took Bathsheba. Now nobody's going to question anything. Everybody will think it's just our child. And and, uh, Nathan the prophet comes to David and tells David of a man in the kingdom who is a very wealthy man. And he had uh, many, many cattle and sheep and so forth. And some company came. and, And instead of killing one of his... He went to his neighbor who had one ewe lamb, and it was like a pet. He said it was like a daughter to him. That that ewe lamb was raised with his children. He he ate with them. He, He drank out of the man's own cup. He was loved and held, and it was a pet. And that rich man took, instead of using one of his many animals that he could have slain to feed his guest, he took that man's ewe lamb, put it to death, and served it to his friends. David was outraged. 
He said, that man doesn't even deserve to live. Go put him to death. And you remember Nathan said, David, you're the man. What a setup. There's no defense. He is nailed. The prophet of God got him to consent even to his own death by the way of this parable. His, his deserved death. And David made no excuses and he said, I have sinned. You know, it's interesting to note that in 2 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5, there's a statement about David that says that all of his life he served the Lord, but it was just in this, this case, in the case with Uriah, that he departed from the Lord. That doesn't mean that David never did anything wrong in his life. But it does mean that in this case, he had walked away from God. And according to what the text says, that's the only time in his life that he had ever done that. You know, there was a time, maybe in your life, there was a time in my life that I, I didn't understand the grace of God, the mercy of God, like I should. And, and I had this notion for a while that, you know, if I don't die with a prayer on my lips, man, I'm lost. The best thing in the world is to, to, you know, if you sin, you gotta pray for forgiveness, and boy, I hope I die right after I said, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, that would be the way to go. Because if I, if I don't die in that state, I might not make it. And, and I had that view that I had to get every single detail right because I'm in and out of grace, in and out. When I sin, I'm out. When I repent, I'm in. And when I sin, I'm out. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches. In 1 John chapter 1, the Bible says that uh, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses us of our sins. That means that as we're walking in the light, there are sins that we're being cleansed of. But they aren't high-handed sins. They're not sins of rebellion where we persist in something and we, we, we flaunt it before God and we, we make a deliberate choice away from God. We all make mistakes. We all say and do things that we shouldn't do in moments of weakness. And But but when we get to the point where we cover them and hide them and protect them and fail to repent of them, then we walk away from God. I remember years ago, Brother Johnny Ramsey was talking about a time in his life, and, and it just has always impressed me after he was done saying this. But he said, you know, I, I've preached for... X amount of years. The man knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He said, I've lived my life for the Lord, except for one time in my life. And I walked away from him. And had I died at that time in my life, I would have been lost. I've not been perfect since, but I've been walking in the light ever since. And I think that that's uh, something that we need to think about. Don't think that just because you make a mistake, you know, you, you, there's no hope and you can't pillow your head. It's those sins that we commit. The, the grace of God, the blood of Jesus covers us of those sins of our weakness. And, and sometimes we don't even know. And we learn later. But when we high-handedly rebel against God and try to cover it and hide it and persist in it and refuse to repent of it, 
That's a problem. And that's what David did in this case of Uriah the Hittite. And so here we are now. David has been confronted, and now he finally repents. And we see in Psalm 51 some lessons about his repentance. And that's what I want us to see. Pick out three things in this chapter. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 51 and look with me. At a few lessons from this chapter of crying out to mercy or crying out to God for mercy. The first thing that I want to point out is that in Psalm 51, David realized the facts of his sin. There's no more hiding. There's no more cover up. There's no more uh, excuses. Uh, he, he's now coming clean. Listen to what he says in verses three. And uh, going down through verse 6, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Before, he had tried to push it to the back of his mind. Before, he wasn't acknowledging anything. He was covering it up. He was trying to hide it. He didn't want to confess it, admit it to anybody. And, and it was this nagging thing, but he just shoved it to the back of his mind. Not anymore. Now... As he cries out to mercy, for mercy to God, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Have you ever done something where it just nags at you? You get, you feel so badly. You feel embarrassed. You feel guilty and, and it's right there and you can't sometimes get past it because you think, how in the world did I ever do that? That's David. He sees the magnitude of his sin now. Before he didn't. Now he does. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Wait, didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against Uriah? Well, of course he did. It's not a matter of, I didn't sin against anybody. It's a matter of emphasis. David saying, the primary thing here is that I have sinned against you, God. And that is the primary emphasis. We may sin against each other, but that's not the greatest crime. The greatest crime is what it does to our relationship with God in light of how much God has loved us and what he's done for us. And so David acknowledges this as well. And look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make known to me wisdom. David, I think, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, well, what does that statement mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're born in sin. The, the soul that sins, it shall die, Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20. We don't inherit anybody's sin, and that's not what David's saying here. I think, personally, it's hyperbole. I think he's saying, man, I have been, just like we, you might hear somebody say, man, I've been married all my life. Or that boy, when he got up to bat, he hit the ball a mile high. Not really. Exaggeration. And I think what David is saying is, I have, listen, this sinning stuff is nothing new to me. I've been doing it up from the day I was born. From, I, I've been a sinner for a long time. Not literally, but in a, in a way of exaggeration, he is confessing, I'm a sinner. I'm undone. 
And, and notice that God sees, he acknowledges the inner parts of man. He knows what goes on in our mind. You can't hide it from him. And so David has come clean. He stopped trying to justify and hide and cover up. Uh, and, and don't you know that that had to have been oh, a weight off his shoulders to quit telling the lies and all the finagling and all the, the covering and uh, just to come clean and get it behind him. That's what David has done. It's what we need to do. Listen, if there are things in your life that, uh, that you have done wrong, you're not the only person that's made mistakes. But don't hide it. Don't try to cover it up. Don't keep it secretly in your heart and not confess it and get right with God. God knows your inward man. And, and it's that kind of sin that will separate you from God. There are things that you can do that are mistakes and, and the blood of Christ will cleanse you because you're trying to walk in the light and, and by ignorance and, and just, you know, spur the moment and taking us off guard and things we, we do and say things that we shouldn't do. God will cover that and take care of that and we'll be humble enough to for, ask for forgiveness when we come to ourselves. But this sin that we hide and protect and and fail to confess, that's going to get us. Learn from David's example. Quit trying to minimize it and justify it. Quit trying to throw it in the back of your mind where you don't think about it anymore. Acknowledge it, as did David. Here's the second thing that I see from this psalm is that David turned to God. Look at what it says in Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. I want you to notice, just, just work your way down through this passage, and I want you to notice the active and the passive. Is this David taking care of his situation, or is this God fixing things for David? Look, look at the verbs. Chapter 51, look at verse 1. Blot out. My that's, that's the activity of God. He's asking God to forgive him. He's not stepping up and pulling himself up by his own bootstraps and deserving and earning anything. He says, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look at verse 7, purge me. With hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. All through this chapter, he acknowledges, God, this is, this is up to you. I can't fix it. I've made a mess. I have sinned. And I need you to help. We need to come to that realization we can't fix it. 
the, the moment you chose to disobey God, you dug yourself a hole so deep that you can never get out of it by your own merit. And if you're ever to be saved, it's going to be by the working of God, His grace, His gift to you. And you can spend the rest of your life doing good works and helping the poor and giving people things and, and being, you know, Johnny Do Good and all those kind. But you'll never pay for your sins. And so David doesn't try to say, I'll pay you back, Lord. I'll do, you know, I'll fix this. He just looks at God and says, please, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me. Blot out. Remove from me. Deliver me. Those are words that acknowledge his need for God. We need that kind of an attitude. We need to be humble and say, I have sinned. And secondly, we need to, like David, say, and I need God to fix it because I can't do it on my own. And then here's the third and the last point. David does pledge to do better. Look at verses 10 and 11. David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Or excuse me, verses 13 and 15. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me, deliver me from guilt of bloodshed, O God, and the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and with my mouth, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Here's what David says. Lord, if you will do this, if you will forgive me, I'll go talk to sinners, and I'll tell them what you have done for me, and I will sing your praises. And people will be converted because of my story. You know, sometimes, and it depends on how we do this, we need to be a community of people where we're open enough to say, I struggle with sin. I'm not perfect. I I make mistakes. And and there needs to be, because, you know, who are we fooling? We all struggle with sin. And and if if somebody comes and has the courage to say that, um, who are we to pretend like we don't understand that? Of, of course we do. We've been there. We are there often in our own lives. But use your experiences to reach out to people. Use what has happened to you and how God has restored you to give other people hope. Let people know that you know what it's like to battle sin without it being one of those brag... You know, have you ever heard somebody talk about their former life and when they get done, you're almost... Well, are they bragging or repenting? You know, are they are they boasting of their former ways or are they truly sorry for them? Sometimes they leave you wondering. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm not talking about bragging about who you used to be in your past, but can we humbly talk to people and say, listen, let me... Let me just tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you how he's brought me from point A to point B. That may make the difference in someone else's life. Because they may be at that point A when they're just, have mercy on me, oh God. I don't know how to fix this. I don't even know what to do next. 
have mercy. We need to learn from David. And when we do, and knowing what the Bible says about David, David was a man after God's own heart. He, he messed up. This is the one time in his life where he turned from the Lord. But he came back and God forgave him. And he's listed as, you know, one of those great men of faith. He committed adultery. He murdered. He made decisions that had an impact on thousands of Israelites for their detriment. He made a lot of mistakes in his life. But he's a man who served God. Let's be that man. Let's learn not to diminish, not to minimize our sins, not to bury them in the back of our minds, not to cover them up, not to think about them no more, but to confess them, to acknowledge, I have sinned. And then we do that, we, we turn to God and say, but, and I need your help. I, I can't fix this, but I know you can. And when you fix this, I am making a vow to you that I'm going to spend the rest of my time trying to help others to see your glory and what you've done for me and the difference you've made in my life. And hopefully they'll see the difference that he can make in their life. Let's be those people. Let's use our experiences. Let's learn from David. And what we do learn from David is this, that, that you have to be humble. You have to be broken. Uh, you know, sins, uh, too often we minimize sins. We, we, we think, we take grace for granted. We, we think, oh, well, you know, uh, oh, it's bedtime. I got to say my prayer. God be with me. Thank you for this day and, uh, all the things and, and, oh, and forgive me of my sins in Jesus name. Amen. And then we're asleep. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things we say and we're out of it in five seconds. Does that sound broken? Contra, I'm not the judge of our hearts. I'm just saying that sometimes we can say things and not really feel the weight of sin. David felt the weight of his sin. Let's learn that from David. Let's learn what it means to have a broken and contrite spirit. And let's learn about God, that he is loving and forgiving and patient And he wants us because he loves us. Incredible. Why would he? But he does. And if you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, God wants you. And if you've sinned, you can't fix it by yourself. Your only hope is to cry out to God and say, have mercy on me. And he asks you to meet his terms of pardon. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and he will forgive you. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. And if you're a child of God already and unfaithful, and, and maybe there are some things in your life that you've been burying away and, and you're, you're persisting in. It's a high-handed thing. It's not done in a moment of weakness, and, and after it's done, you made it right. It, it's something you're holding on to, that you're covering up that you're failing to acknowledge, that's what will separate you from God. And if you have that kind of sin in your life, ask Him to forgive you. And if the church can pray with you to the end that you be stronger and, and more faithful in the future, we would love to pray with you tonight. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.